0: This is IAQ Radio, Indoor Air Quality Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. With your host, Radio Joe Hughes, and the
1: Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. And now, Radio Joe Hughes. Good day and welcome to IAQ Radio Plus. This week is episode number 574 and we welcome John T. Hall. We're going to talk a little bit about moisture and roofing. And uh, the first, this is uh, part of our series from the Moisture Mob. And we'll have the, the, the restoration industry global watchdog on as well to talk a little more about the Moisture Mob series. But before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors. And I want to start by thanking our newest sponsor, ACGIH, Advancing the Careers of Professionals Working in the Environmental Health industrial hygiene, and safety communities interested in defining their science. I also want to thank our gold sponsors, Particles Plus, Healthy Indoors Magazine, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, and AEML, Inc. Laboratory. And of course, our association sponsors, CIRI, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute, the Indoor Air Quality Association, and the Restoration Industry Association.
2: And
0: now you can win a cool prize. It's time for the IAQ Radio Trivia question. Be the first to correctly answer. Simply email your answer to C. Zlotnik at Cs.com. Or if listening live, just text your answer from your computer. And now. Here's the Z-man with this week's IAQ radio Trivia Question. Hello, everyone. Congratulations go out to Michael Capalbo, CSP Hillman Consulting in Alexandria, Virginia, for being first to identify aflatoxin as the name of the family of highly toxic mycotoxins produced by Aspergillus flavus and Aspergillus parasiticus, which grow in soil-decaying vegetation, hay, and grains. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for today, Friday, February 14th, 2020, has been sponsored by Ideas, a solution chemistry company providing unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Here's today's IQ Radio Trivia Question Name the ancient Roman festival from which Valentine's Day evolved. Back to you, Joe.
1: Ah, Valentine's Day one. Very good. All right. So today's guest is John T. Hall. He goes by John T. And uh, we're going to talk about roofs, moisture meters, inspections, and solutions for leaks. And we're going to learn some lessons here from an industry veteran. John has 25 plus years in the roofing and coatings industry. He's a recognized authority on roof restoration and moisture detection within roofs and building envelopes. Mr. Hall has provided technical support, training, and consulting in over 30 countries. His expertise in roofing restoration has contributed to roofing projects at NFL stadiums, airports, universities, hospitals, and military bases, and even at the White House. Welcome to IAQ Radio, John.
3: Thank you, Joe. Good to be here. Great to have you. I
1: just... I just noticed that White House thing there. That that's got to be an interesting roofing project, there, huh? You got me. I was I was just saying. I just noticed the White House one. Uh, that had to be an interesting roofing project.
3: It was. You know, we dealt with the National Park Service, and there was a section of the White House they wanted to restore a section. So we uh, we were able to provide some uh, consulting services and, and technical guidance to to restore that section. But yeah, it was. We even had the director of the national park service involved in taking a look at that one. So it was a, was a very interesting project.
1: I will say I might pull back to that in a moment here, but before we do, let's, let's talk a little bit about first your background and how you became involved in roofing inspections.
3: Certainly. Well, uh, in my former life, I, I was a roofing contractor. We, uh, we had a contract roof contracting business with 13 offices in eight states, kind of across the South and Southeast U S (laughs) um, So, you know, that kind of started my, my career in roofing. Through that, I, I'm a guy that, you know, is pretty technical and likes to and believes that, that, you know, a better educated customer makes better choices, better decisions, and ultimately it's a win for everyone. So, you know, I started attending some training classes, became a, a certified roofing inspector back in the early 2000s. Um, that continued on. I worked for a major manufacturer of roofing materials for, About eight years, uh, I had a role there where I I ran the sales and field technical departments. So, you know, through that role, uh, either myself or those that reported to me, you know, we inspected thousands and thousands and thousands of roofing projects, um, Hmm. really all over the Americas and even beyond. Um, In the last few years, I've uh, been an independent consulting, providing moisture inspection services, roof restoration consulting, um, and those type of benefits to a variety of customers that you know include architects, building owners, contractors, etc. So,
1: when you had your roofing business, John, was it uh, residential, commercial, or both?
3: It was both. Um, a lot of roofers. We, we probably followed the path that a lot of roofers follow. We started out as primarily residential, and then the business you know evolved. You know, you have customers that, that like your work, and so we evolved into and, and a point where when I got out of the business in uh, '09. We were about 70% commercial and about 30% residential.
1: In hmm. 09, that that was probably not the best time to be in the roofing business. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hence me going to work for a manufacturer. Uh, you know, a lot of things changed. You know, obviously the economy was, it was a factor, but, you know, just industry in general, you know, labor was starting to get tough. Um, you know, insurance companies were becoming a little bit more difficult to deal with. And so it was just a, it was time for me to take a look at a different chapter and I, and I enjoyed, enjoyed this next chapter.
1: Yeah, you, you mentioned insurance companies and that's always uh, not my area of expertise, but it always gets my attention because, um, it, it seems like a lot of, uh, a lot of people do pretty well working with insurance. Did you, did, how did you get involved in the insurance end of things when it comes to roofing?
3: Well, obviously, a lot of a lot of re roof projects um, are a result of some kind of natural disaster, whether it be a hurricane or hailstorm or some kind of significant physical loss. And and when that happens, you know, obviously the insurance company is an involved party because they're typically the one footing the bill. So so you know you'll have you'll you'll have to sometimes educate an adjuster or work with adjusters or insurance companies through. You know, just, just sharing information, sharing knowledge, consulting together. So they're they're heavily involved in a lot of the the roofing and re roofing activity that goes on in North America.
1: Okay, I think that's important to point out. Now let's let's also kind of set the set the background a little bit here because there are at least. I don't know, a handful, if not more types of roofing, um, at least when it comes to commercial roofing. Let's start with uh, residential because anything that could be on a residential roof could also be on a commercial roof. I I assume, at least that's what I've seen, you know, it's an old elderly care home. It could still have shingles on it. Um, You know, we've got shingles. We've got, uh, well, maybe you could go through some of the different types of roofing, starting with residential and then i'd like to focus more on commercial
3: okay no absolutely joe so you're right there are different types of roofing but there are also some that are found on either type so with residential you know obviously shingles are are the predominant uh, roof you know covering that we see out in the marketplace and you know part of that's because you know homes typically have a smaller footprint and a little more aesthetic design, so it's, it's not uncommon for us to see steeper slopes on homes. Shingles are, are water-shedding. They're not technically waterproof, so you wouldn't see shingles on a low-slope or flat commercial-type application. Um, you know, the other, the, probably the number two uh, roof covering we see on residential is metal. And, you know, metal is now up to about 20% of all residential roofs are covered with metal. Hmm. More common in coastal areas um you know areas where you have high wind things like that uh, even wildfire areas we're seeing people putting metal roofs on because they're more resistant to to wildfires, so oh, we're really seeing a seeing a spike in metal
1: and then you've got things like uh you know slate and other Absolutely. Uh, more durable types of roofing those could be on either residential or commercial
3: right slate. Tile um, and, and on some, you know, residential. If you go out to the the Southwest, go out to New Mexico, Arizona. You got a lot of flat roofs. So out in those areas, you will have the the, the low slope asphalt covered roofs or single ply membrane covered roofs. Um, so in the residential segment, there are really about every type of roof covering that's out there is used in that segment. A lot of it's going to depend on. Um, you know, geography, weather conditions. Uh, if you've got heavy snow loads, you're going to have steeper slopes than if you, you know, heavy, if you've got heavy snow loads or, or a lot of rain versus out in the Southwest where you have the lower slope or even flat roofs.
1: You know, I had a, a friend years ago who who told me, I remember who it was now, actually, Sean Regan at uh, PDG Group at the time, they're at PRISM now. He said, you know, every time you see, an architect that designs buildings with flat roofs, you should buy them a dinner because they're going to keep you busy. you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's, let's talk a little bit about those, those flat roofs and the more common types of commercial applications. First, I want to start with the term I hear a lot, built-up roofing. What, what exactly is built-up roofing?
3: Sure. So a, a built-up roof is where they go in and they just literally build up layers of felt roofing felts and asphalt or tar and and those roofs will be typically multiple layers thick so they just keep building and building and building on top of one another you'll see a a, maybe a three-ply built up or a five-ply built up so those you know those roofs were more common um kind of i'm gonna say back in the old days prior to the 1990s and the 2000s um They're, they're great roof systems. They're very redundant. You know, if you, if you poke a little hole, you've got a lot more layers to protect from moisture intrusion. Um, We're seeing a pretty significant decline in built up roofs these days because they're just so expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, They're a great roof, but they're, they require a lot of material. They're, they're labor intensive and they're heavy. So they put, uh, you know, you've got to really build the structure a little stronger for a built up roof than you would, a lighter weight, say, single-ply roof or something that, that's lighter weight. Um, so that that's a built-up roof or a BUR roof.
1: And now let's talk about some of the more common current types of, of roofs, uh, EPDM or whatever that terminology is. Can you give sure, us some me, idea of those?
3: Yeah, let me just walk you through all those. So, so a- after built-up, really in the 70s, we started seeing a lot more of what they call modified bitumen roofs. And those are roofs that are typically two plies. So there's a base sheet that goes down and then a cap sheet that goes over the top of that. So you do have some redundancy there. Those are typically mopped down with asphalt or, um, or, or torched down where they use literally an open flame and they, they melt the surface and make it sticky and, and they'll stick it to the roof. So that, that type of, of roofing product was really, really common. It's still common today, but, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s. And then in the 90s, we saw a, a really an explosion of the single ply roofing industry, um, which single ply, there's EPDM, which you just mentioned. And that an EPDM roof is, is I tell people, think about an inner tube and a tire. And that's basically what EPDM is. Um, hmm. You know, Firestones is a, is a huge manufacturer of EPDM and roofs. And it makes sense because they're in the, in the tire business. So. So that's one, you know, one type of membrane, and those are typically adhered or mechanically fastened, meaning they're put down with screws and plates. Um, and then, really more common even today are white reflective single ply roofs. So in those, uh, TPO, uh, to a, a, a thermal polyolefin. That is a, a the most common, and then PVC are also pretty common single plies, and those can be. Other colors, you know, white, tan, gray, but white's the most common. And those roofs are, are a single membrane that is typically installed over, you know, one now new code requires two layers of insulation. So those will be like a rigid insulation board, anywhere from a half inch to, to four or five inches, six inches thick. That'll, that'll give some thermal protection and energy efficiency for the building um, as well. So then on top of that, these single-ply membranes will go down, and they'll either be adhered with some type of adhesive or, again, mechanically attached using, using fasteners, screws, and plates. With those, the heat-welded seams are nice. You have a nice watertight seam, um, but you just have that single redundancy. So, you know, those are less expensive modified bitumens, or the next step up in expense and then built up, and then even vegetative roofs uh, vegetative roofs are, or, you know, something kind of more new in the last 10 to 15 years. And that's where there's literally a, a garden planted on a roof. Um, and those are, those are extremely expensive, but they're obviously, um, you know, environmentally, uh, appealing and, uh, and, but, you know, there's a lot of upkeep with those. You've got to water the the plants, you, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a very difficult roof to, to, uh, install and maintain.
1: Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned those because you kind of read my mind. I wanted to I wanted to make sure we talk a little bit about that. And it's also kind of counterintuitive that you're watering a roof. Uh, that 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 scares me a little bit, John. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh,
3: it Scares me as well. But uh, you know those those systems. Obviously, there's a lot of redundancy. There's trays. There's there's drainage. You know that are installed. But uh, but it does require a commitment uh, by the owner. It certainly does.
1: All right, so I wanted to get that background because when we talk about moisture evaluations and, and moisture inspection of roofing, I'd like to, as we go through the, the process, kind of maybe differentiate a little bit between how it may differ depending on the type of roof you're dealing with and and also just to give people a good, solid background on the types of roofs that we're dealing with. So now let's talk a little bit about moisture surveys. Um, First, if, if I'm a commercial building owner, how do I know I need a moisture survey?
3: Good question, Joe. You know, I believe that, that every commercial building should at some point have periodic moisture surveys. Now, there are times when they are more critical than others. Let's say, for example, um, you had a, a, a storm, you had a hailstorm, you had a hurricane. You know, anytime you've had physical damage to the roof, it's, it's critical you have a moisture survey after that because, um, you know, a lot of times moisture can get into a roof system. It can go unnoticed visually, um, and, you know, that can cause loss of thermal efficiency from your insulation, which is going to increase heating and cooling expenses. It'll also degrade the roofing materials quicker, uh, so it'll shorten the life of the roof, and then, you know, it, ultimately it can cause structural problems. If you've got moisture, let's say you've got a steel deck. Uh, and you've got moisture in there. Um, I've seen cases where steel decks have literally corroded and rusted all the way through. So, so it can cause some pretty significant issues. So, so one, I think is just, just like going to the doctor every year, you know, you ought to have a periodic checkup of your roof. Now that doesn't have to be done every year, but you know, on a, on a commercial roof, um, it's, it's over, you know, some, uh, a, a business, you know, every three to five years, it's not a bad idea to, to have a moisture survey done. Um, Other times that you would need to have one done is if you're planning on any, any uh, significant roofing work. Um, You know, we'll talk about roof restoration and roof restoration is, is when you have a roof that is not gone beyond its useful service life. It's kind of, let's say you got a roof that's expected to perform for 20 years. Well, between 18 and 20, 21 years, that roof might still be a candidate to be restored, which means um, the owner could come in, hire a contractor, they could, could make some repairs, repair flashings, you know, find wet areas, take the wet area out, and then put a fluid applied covering or a coating over the roof and get another 10, 15, even 20 years performance out of the roof. So that is an option as well that, that can save owners a lot of money versus a tear off. So that's sometime that, that they would use a moisture survey. Um, and then, and then you know, finally, After or before, excuse me, after a a new roof is installed, sometimes it's not a bad idea to have a record for a future insurance loss of of a pre-loss condition of the roof. So Mm -hmm. those periodic um, inspections will provide the owner documentation that they had a dry roof or if an event happens, you know, it's new damage and that can help them in their negotiations with the insurance company.
1: Okay. Sort of like a a testing and balancing of a new mechanical system. But, you know, when you put a new roof on, have yourself a moisture survey to make sure that uh, everything's applied properly and so on. You know, one of the things we didn't really focus on very much when we were talking about the different types of roofing, and you just brought it up, is is the expectation for how long that roofing will last. And I'm wondering if we can maybe kind of just Quickly put some ballpark numbers on that. I know, you know, with shingles, you're you're looking at, you know, maybe twenty years. Um, maybe you know, if you stretch it, you might get twenty five. Metal roofing, as I as I understand it, you can go pretty long time. Maybe you could just go down the list real quick and give us an idea of how long they should last if done right.
3: You bet. So obviously, geography is going to play a role, a factor in this. So let's let's keep that in mind. But uh, typically, if you go, you know, on a national basis, um, you're right. Shingles, you know, twenty thirty years is your typical life expectancy. Um, metal tile slate; those are more like a lifetime roof. You know, barring any major significant storm damage, those roofs, there's no reason they're gonna they're gonna fail. Um, they may need some occasional tweaks and tune ups and whatnot, but but that's a pretty much a lifetime roof.
1: But um, when you say lifetime, is that fifty years, seventy five, a hundred years?
3: Uh, every bit of a hundred years.
1: Okay.
3: Yeah, we see we see those types of roofs that have been around 100, 125 years. Absolutely. Um, on your low slope roofs, your built up, your modified, and your single ply. Again, this is going to depend on UV. UV plays a big role in this. Um, but uh, a built up roof, we've seen built up roofs last thirty plus years. Uh, modified roofs typically twenty to thirty. And then your single-ply roofs are going to be, depending on the mill thickness of the membrane, anywhere from 10 to 25. Um, 15 to 18 is kind of the the sweet spot in there on those single-plies.
1: So much much less uh, durability there than with some of the other ones. Um, Another question I've had is when you go up on roofs, a lot of times you'll find the the stone up there. I think they call it ballasts. Um, Which ones need that and which ones don't, and what purpose does it serve?
3: So good question. Ballast is typically, you'll find it on a built-up roof or EPDM single-ply roofs. Now, when it's on a, a built-up roof, what they've done is they've gone on that roof and they've flooded the roof with hot, melted asphalt. And while that, that asphalt is still in liquid state, they'll broadcast the gravel or the ballast into that. In that roof, it, it typically serves to provide UV protection for the asphalt, and or provide spread of flame protection. So, um, you know, obviously rock doesn't burn as well as asphalt, so they'll put it up there to, to prevent or slow the spread of flame. On an EPDM roof, they'll use it for the same spread of flame, but they'll also use it as a ballast to literally hold the membrane down. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, and, and what we've seen in, in coastal areas that are prone to hurricanes, um, Houston being one, They've started outlawing the rock and the gravel on the roofs because in a high wind event it blows the rock off and that starts blowing windows out and all that kind of stuff. so we're really seeing the industry move away from from gravel on rooftops
1: okay that's one of the reasons I asked i I had heard that and I wasn't sure wanted to get it from the expert all right let me let me before I go any further cliff let me let you jump in here um, get a question or two in. Thanks. Well, let's go back and discuss
0: exactly, you know, we talked about who needs a moisture survey. Um, I'm wondering if you could explain to the listeners what a moisture survey is and, and, you know, what's involved in it.
3: Sure. Now, good question. Um, So we will, we will see a lot of times a building owner will either get a, just a general roof inspection or a moisture survey. So, so the difference there is in an inspection, it's all typically just a general inspection, it's going to be visual. So we can go and we can evaluate you know, observe and evaluate the condition of the roof covering itself, um, flashings, laps, those types of things, but we still don't know what's going on under that roof covering. You know, that there can be several inches, there can be six inches of, of space between that roof covering and the deck, which may be asphalt or excuse me, maybe steel, it may be concrete, it may be wood. So really to understand what's going on, to understand the health of that roof and to understand what our options are on that roof, whether it can be restored, it can be recovered with a new membrane um, or it has to be torn off a moisture roof moisture survey is is required. So a moisture survey is going to, you know, there's, there's a variety of means and methods, and we can go into that um, different tools, techniques that you go in and, and, and they'll be different based on the roof type. you know, the, the, the equipment and the method. Um, but it's a way for us to, find out where moisture exists if moisture exists and then we can dig a little deeper maybe with some destructive testing and find out how much moisture is there and and if that roof you know what degree of repair or restoration is going to be required on that roof because the last thing we want to do is cover or encapsulate moisture that's just going to you know exacerbate any problems we have with indoor air quality energy efficiency and even you know stru- structural degradation of the building so we definitely want to get any wet roofing materials out of the way as soon as we can. Thanks.
0: Well, would you say it's almost like an x-rays, you know, you could go talk to a doctor and you know, can kind of look at you and then, or a dentist, I guess for that matter, you know, you have a toothache and you can kind of point to it and they can look at it, but then, you know, it's kind of getting deeper, like with x-rays and so on and so forth.
3: No, Cliff, you're exactly right. And that's, uh, it's funny, you, you you kind of compare it to a doctor, because that's, that's the comparison analogy I use all the time. You know, we would never, none of us would ever go in for surgery without, you know, having an x-ray or an MRI or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, 80% probably of building owners will perform major surgery on their building without an x-ray, you know, mm-hmm. without understanding what's going on. Um, so at that point, you know, the roofers, you know, they they can go in and they can recover a roof or they can coat a roof and they can hope it's dry, um, but they don't know. Or, you know, they may go in and cut out some wet roofing materials, but they may not get it all. Um, So in that case, you know, your roof covering is going to fail. And then you're going to have, you know, then you're going to be in argument with the manufacturer over the warranty validity and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I like to say, for pennies per square foot, let's save you dollars per square foot down the road and even save you from having avoided warranty from the manufacturer.
0: Well, I, I suspect in some situations, a lot of times uh, the building owner is going to have their roofer go up and make the inspection and yeah. so on and so forth. So it's really not a third party looking at it. and He may not have the tools or whatever, and uh, it, he'd be probably more inclined to cover up his mistakes, perhaps, than a third party would.
3: No, you're absolutely right. And I'll, I'll just quickly share an example of a project we were involved with This was just this last year. We had a roofer that was under contract with a building owner to, to do a roof restoration. This was a big roof. This was, you know, a couple hundred thousand square feet. So they were getting ready to proceed. And at the last minute, they decided they probably ought to have a moisture survey. So we went in and did the survey, and we found that 46% of that roof was wet.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
3: so that changed the game completely. But if that contractor hadn't decided, you know, let's get a third party to go in and evaluate this, they would have gone in, they would have restored the roof. You know, a couple of years down the road, there would have been a massive failure, then this thing would have ended up in litigation. It you know, it would have just been a mess. Now, all parties, you know, were aware so the, so they can all kind of take a step back and say, "Okay, we need to change our scope of work." So it saved everybody a lot of heartache and heartburn. let so,
1: look. Let's talk a little bit about the tools uh, used to conduct a moisture survey on a roof. Uh, Before the show, we were talking a little bit about my my past at the Pittsburgh testing lab and they had these nuclear density gauges and so on. And now this is in the early nineties when I don't know if, uh, if the moisture meters were as good back then as they are now, but let's talk a little bit about the tools. Can you tell listeners, you know, what a good roof, what tools a good roof inspector should have and use when doing this type of work?
3: Yeah, Absolutely, Joe. So, you know, roof inspectors are kind of like, you know, a builder and you need to have multiple tools in your tool belt because, you know, you can't go build a house with just a hammer. And it's, it's kind of the same situation when you're performing, you know, professional evaluation and analysis of a roof. Um there are multiple types of tools and technologies out there that, that you can conduct moisture surveys with. The most popular these days is probably infrared. You know, the guys go out with the handheld infrared cameras or even the drones and or even airplanes. They they do infrared surveys from airplanes nowadays where mm. they fly over a you know a college campus and do a whole college campus in a couple of nights. Um but it's important to, you know, verify those findings. So you still need to get on the roof and you still need to do a little destructive testing. Um, so infrared is is one of the most popular, but with infrared, you know, what you're doing is you're actually reading, you're not, infrared doesn't detect water. It's not x-ray vision. So what infrared does is it detects um, differences in temperature. So, you know, what we what we see is is water in a roof system, moisture will heat up during the day. And then after dark, the roof surface will, will cool faster than that trap moisture, so you typically would see a heat signature from trap moisture. That's how infrared works. Um, there are some limitations. Let's say you've got a cloudy day. Let's say you've got you know, buildings next to it, you know, high-rises that are reflecting on it. Let's say you know, you've got a white reflective membrane that doesn't heat up as much as a asphalt or a dark membrane. Those are all factors that will, will really negatively affect your infrared tools. So, you know, there's another technology using impedance or capacitance meters, and those are big moisture meters. Um, there's one that's a deck scanner, and it's it's a big moisture meter on wheels, and we can go up, and it'll send a very low voltage electrical signal into the roof and detect uh, detect moisture that way. Um, so that's a very common um, and, and popular method. Um, I do more, more of my surveys with that than anything. There are some things that will affect that. So if there's metal, if there's a foil-faced install insulation um, or black EPDM, the carbon black, can send some false signals. So those are those are things where the impedance wouldn't work as well as other methods. Um, and then finally, um, nuclear, you'd mentioned nuclear. So the nuclear gauge technology really hasn't changed at all in probably 20 years. I mean a nuclear gauge that somebody had twenty years ago is probably the same nuclear gauge they can use now. Um, and those those contain a, a, a radioactive isotope that shoots a quick signal and uh, in, down into the roof membrane, those can penetrate up to eight inches. So if you've got a, a built up roof with gravel, so you've got a thick membrane, the nuclear is going to be more, more reliable than some of the other methods that maybe won't read that deep. Um, and, and what will happen there is if it detects hydrogen, which obviously hydrogen is an important part or is a, is a part of water, um, you'll get a reading back with the detection of hydrogen and it'll, it'll, it'll dictate that there's moisture there and kind of how much moisture is there. So those are the most common. There's a few other um, uh, they call electro, uh, uh, vector field mapping that can be used on EPDM. But, um, so it's important if you're going to be a, a, you know, a full service provider of moisture surveys, you really need to kind of have all the tools because you'll use a different tool and even different techniques on different type routes.
1: John, you mentioned that the uh, nuclear gauge goes down, I believe it was eight inches. What about the impedance meters? Uh, 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 how, how, how far down is your, your moisture meter checking?
3: Um, it'll go four to six inches. Four so, to six. You know, And then we use a, uh, uh, to verify our findings of the impedance meter, we use a uh, seven-inch insulated pin probe that we can take readings down to seven inches uh, deep with the pin probe. Um, that's part of our process and procedure. Anytime we find, whether we're using infrared or impedance, um, you know, you want to verify what you're finding. So we'll use um, a a pen probe uh, to verify the, you know, wood equivalent moisture content, or even um, if you've got a gauge deeper than that, or if you need a more visual, um, you take a core cut in the roof. And a core cut's literally cutting a hole in the roof to the the deck. Um, And then we can use the pen probe to even probe moisture content um, at different levels of the roof maybe at low levels of the insulation or between the insulation and the membrane so there's there's a lot of variables and tools and techniques that, that you must be employed to get a really truly accurate survey
1: i want to go back to the impedance meter for just a moment are these specialized meters that you know a lot of people have that type of meter for moisture surveys in indoor environments but are these a specialized type of meter that would be used on roofing
3: they are. Um, we use, um, we use some Tramex meters. They have, they have one deck scanner. It's a large meter design for roofs. It's obviously a lot bigger than a small handheld meter. So you can cover a lot more, more area with it. Um, and then, you know, there's meters um, a little, I guess, graduated uh, down from that. Um, that go down all the way to the handheld meters and the handheld meters are great for, for spot checking. So you, you can definitely spot check if you've got an isolated area you need to check. But for a broader full roof, you know, you, need, you really need a, a larger meter that you can cover more ground with.
1: Okay. I, it's time for our halftime, John, and uh, we're going to bring you back, and we're going to bring the Restoration Industry Global Watchdog back, talk a little bit about the Moisture Mob series that we've got going on right now. Um, so we'll, we'll be back in uh, about 90 seconds. But be, I want to start the, the halftime by mentioning our newest sponsor is ACGIH. Advancing the careers of professionals working in environmental health, industrial hygiene, and the safety community, those who are interested in defining their science.
2: CIRI, the Cleaning Industry Research Institute.
1: See more deeply through science and research. Learn more at ciriscience.org. That's C-I-R-I science.org. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got John Hall on the on the show today. We're talking roofing, moisture meters, inspections, and solutions for leaks. I also got the restoration industry's global watchdog, Pete Consigli, on the line. Pete, first, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, let all the listeners know how much I know. You've worked hard on putting together this moisture mob series, and uh, IAQ Radio really appreciates your efforts.
4: All right. Thanks, Joe. So listen, um, <laughs> a couple things. I, you know, I, I sent out a, um, uh, uh, kind of a Pete style, uh, a series of emails late yesterday afternoon or very early this morning. I'm real happy to see, uh, at least when I look at the log over here, quite a few of our old f- friends have called in. So I certainly thank you for stopping in the middle of your day to do that from different parts of the country. But, um, I kind of, uh, I, I'm not sure how many of them actually would have clicked on the link that kind of explained what the moisture mob was, but just, just kind of shortly, I kind of printed a couple of notes. I mean, the whole thing started with uh, the CEO, uh, Andrew Reinhardt of Tramex, who had a special symposium uh, for friends and colleagues of his, uh, and Cliff and myself, i fortunate enough to be invited over, it was, uh, was in Dublin, Ireland last fall. And then as a result of that, uh, Andrew did an interview um, in uh, in November and then early December. One of the, the Moisture Mobs charter members, who's really quite a character. Uh, old Bob Higgins, he, he, he's another Floridian just like John. John's in the peninsula. Bob lives over, I think, in Cocoa, somewhere in the beach. And uh, it, it started, that blog started the first really, the, the Z-Man style blog, you know, Factor fiction, fiction on Concrete. And so... You know, Mickey Lee and uh, uh, Lou Herman were over there. They're, they're well known, obviously, w- with the audience, and they've done um, more than one I- uh, interview in-, in the past. So we met these guys, and some of them we knew. I mean, I knew I knew Bob Higgins when he first came to the IACRC. Oh, many many years ago, it was in Houston, Texas. Cliff, you were there, and uh, the Sheridan, Old Sheridan Astrodome, and uh, that's when uh, all of the, um, the all the whole resilience uh, group came. Claudia Lazell actually kinda of organized that. And uh he's been around for years. He's one of the top leading authorities. But uh and then uh uh Howard Howard Brickman, known of him, he's one of the guys who started the uh the National Oak Flooring Manufacturing Group. And um he's been around. Matter of fact he had some time when with Kurt Bolden our friend uh ran his hydro lab. He had been out there and done some stuff and he was there. And then, of course, the uh, Roland Vieira, the Vieira, I didn't say Vieira, but I almost say, I'm, I'm not going there. Uh, but Roland, I, I've known him for years. He's well-known uh, flooring inspector, lives on the, on the West coast, uh, actually in the Bay area. I lived out there for 20 years. And then a new guy who I didn't know, William Thornton, uh, quite a character. We actually have some roots back in the, uh, you know, days growing up. And, uh, He's a sports flooring uh, uh, and technical guy for the Tarkett floor, uh sports flooring. We just kind of seemed to hit it off. A bunch of guys have been around and, uh, you know, we had this connection uh, under the Trimex umbrella and we thought we'd kind of put something loose together and see if we would, um, uh, you know, can help the industry and pass on what we know to the next generation. But, um, you know, I, I think the big thing, particularly with, with moisture and water now, it's a very contentious topic. Um, and uh, the, as the industry tries to develop standards and uh, you know uh, what the different certifications mean for people who have different expertise in these areas, and uh, dealing with insurance companies and TPAs and building owners and property owners, um, it's it's challenging. So anyway, uh, I won't say any more than that. If you haven't already, hit the link and read it. They went out with a notice today, and it's up on the IEQA website. I, I would encourage you to do it, and it kind of explains who we are and. What our mission is, we're just a loose group. There's no formal relationship. There's just a bunch of old guys who know stuff, as Joe Steebrick would say, who, uh, who are uh, just trying to help the professions and the industries and the various ones that, um, that we have. Now, i um, I tell you what I'm going to do, uh, Radio Joe, before I turn it back to you. I have a question that um, I want to ask. John, you don't necessarily need to ask it now. I want you to think about it. And then if you want to cover it at the Roundup, you can. And Joe, the other thing that I'll do is um, I'll preview at the roundup the last three guys and the topics that we have planned for them that are not scheduled yet in the moisture Mapper series. So having said that, um, the first thing is actually one other comment, the drone thing was interesting. I actually had a question here and Joe asked it ahead of time, Johnny, he did a wonderful job of dealing with the infrared and that whole issue, Uh, excellent there. So I don't have anything further on that. But, you know, at the, at John, at the, the Siri conference, um, which uh, Cliff and myself attended in uh, July, Miami of Ohio, Randy Rapp brought his Ph.D., uh, in, um, I guess, candidate at the time who's a captain in the Army who wrote his thesis on drones. And uh, Mr. Z-Man, if you're taking notes, I, I, think, Dr., I think I think he's a doctor, doctor and a captain now. He'd be an excellent guy. Maybe bring him and Randy on. To do some stuff on the drones and how it ties into the roofs and everything, he was talking about that. So I thought that would be very interesting. So here's my watchdog controversial thing: Roofers got a bad reputation, and particularly in Florida, they're the new tin men. Anyone else know what a tin man is? Tin man are the guys in Baltimore in the '60s that when when the wife was home working and they had a one thing, a, you know, one thing family. They'd come around and sell new – they'd sell high-pressure new siding. The wife would sign, and the husband would come home, and they get in a divorce. That's the reason we have these cooling-off laws and contracting laws for 72 hours. You can change your mind. Well, you need a good roofer when you need one. And I don't know, if you want – whatever you want to share with the audience and that Cliff could put in the Z-Man blog, you'll get a chance to review that about this or something, because i got to think that they're a scourge to your industry. They're the ambulance chasers. We have them in ours too. Nobody nearly knows how to deal with them. You know, sometimes you just got to take the high road. So anyway, uh, thanks for that. And um, uh, any comments will come back at the end, Joe. I kind of said my piece and then uh, let me close and I'll uh, win on the roundup and I'll, I'll give you the titles and the last three guys that we'd like to interview for the members or for the listeners of the show. Anyway. Uh, okay. Back to you, boys.
1: All right. Thank you, Pete. Okay. Let's, let's get back a little bit, John, to um, roof inspection and, and a little more on the process for doing a roof inspection. Maybe you could kind of go through, you know, um, how you look at it. And, and it may depend on the type of roofing, but let's go through the process a little bit.
3: No, good point. So, so obviously, there is a process, and it has to be consistent and repeatable you know, every time. Now, good point, based on the type of roof and the, even the building use, there may be some, uh, some, some tweaks to the process. You know, for example, cold storage buildings or buildings with overhead cranes, you know, buildings where you, you have an excessive amount of, of uh, maybe thermal shock or movement, those, those inspections are gonna be a little more, uh, there's gonna be some things you do there that are a little different, but overall, you know, you're typically gonna wanna understand the building use first. Uh, construction type, you know, understand um, the deck type. So you're going to observe, visually observe the building, make notes, walk the roof. Before I ever start a moisture survey, I'll, I'll walk the entire roof. I'll look for, you know, splits and seams, um, uh, flashings that are failing, any kind of visual problems that may be a uh, area where, where moisture's coming in or something that needs to be addressed before restoration can occur. So those areas will be marked. Um, you know, when you when you're on a roof, and this is where the the flyover stuff gets a little more challenging with the drones and the airplanes, is if you're not on the roof, you can't mark the roof, and mm-hmm. and it's it's often difficult for someone to take the you know for a roofer, you know, you got you got this general tradesman out there um, that's trying to look at this moisture map or this infrared survey or whatever the case may be, and tie it in to where it's actually occurring on the roof. That that creates another level of challenges. So we want to go around the roof. We make sure we have a good diagram of the roof, a very accurate reflection of what we're seeing. So the diagram is going to note, you know, AC units, drains, things like that. And those are good reference points for when you're trying to to pinpoint deficiencies or moisture once you start your moisture survey. So you're going to get your map drawn of the roof, your sketch. You know, we use Google Earth a lot for this, and it kind of will map over the Google Earth. Um, and then walk the roof, note deficiencies, take measurements, all that kind of fun stuff. And then you've got to make sure your equipment is properly calibrated, sensitivities are set right. Because you, know, you can have two buildings side by side that look the same, have the same roof covering, but they may have been installed by different contractors, different times of year, may have different types of insulation. So you really have to understand on every building you you got to do this process. So you you have to take a core cut. You have to understand what the substrate is, what all the materials are. And and then you have to find and identify a known dry spot on the roof to set the sensitivity on your equipment. So that's the baseline for your survey. Mm -hmm. And then when you start your survey, you know, you've got to survey that entire roof. So you have a pattern. If you're using a deck scanner, you're rolling on a pattern and and you're measuring that entire roof. Um, while you're going, you're marking on the roof with paint the wet areas, and then ultimately you're going to develop a moisture map based on those moisture levels and those areas that were that were affected and that moisture map will go into your final report um and the reports you know the format of the reports that's dictated by a s t m and other you know standard standard uh, organizations and bodies so there is a a method and a format that must be followed. Uh, in order to ensure you know consistent uh, results that that everybody's kind of you know comparing apples to apples with, so there is an
1: ASTM standard for doing a moisture roof inspection.
3: There is there's there's an ASTM standard even for the different types. So infrared has its own, impedance has its own, its own, and nuclear has its own.
1: I see. Now, what about the rest of the building, John? So you 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 you've got a roof, and obviously you're going to find leaks from time to time, maybe more often than we would like. But then do you also include within your inspection report what other parts of the building could be being affected by that leak, you know, walls?
3: um... Absolutely. So, so, you know, we typically will do, um, a lot of roof surveys. Um, there are times when you have to do a full building envelope survey, um, is you know let's say for example you will, will an owner might think they have a roof leak when in fact it might be a wall um it might be water coming in from a parapet wall traveling down a wall and then it'll hit a roof girder a roof joist and and you know come out into the interior and look like a roof leak so it is critical to look at the building envelope holistically um to understand that you know where's the water coming from is it a roof problem is it a wall problem is it a window problem um, So, yes, those are, you know, building envelope consulting, building envelope moisture consulting is starting to be a lot more understood by the industry, and it's becoming a lot more commonplace than just looking at one surface and not looking at the building holistically. You know,
1: for building owners out there, John, can you give us a ballpark idea of what they should expect? I mean, obviously the the price is going to vary a lot depending on the size of the roof and so on. Um, but can you give us an idea of what, what kind of base cost they're looking at here? I mean, is it, you know, five grand, 10 grand, 20 grand?
3: Sure. And there are a lot of variables. So, you know, obviously a big wide open roof is going to be less expensive to do per square foot than, uh, maybe a a complex cut up condominium that might have 14, you know, or 15 different, uh, roof segments or sections on different levels. So there are a lot of variables, but, but a, 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 survey, a moisture survey, um, you know, they, they start out at a few cents a foot, maybe four or five cents a foot, and, and you can see them go up to 15, 20 cents a foot. But, but I think kind of this, that sweet spot typically is in that, you know, 10 cents, 15 cents a foot is what's pretty commonplace.
1: Okay. And now the other question I have is, are there certain types of roof that are more prone to leaks than others?
3: Well, First and foremost roofs that have a lot of foot traffic are, are probably the most prone. Um, mm. you get a, a condominium roof that has, you know, a hundred 200 AC units on it. And there's someone on that roof practically every day servicing those units. You're a lot more apt to have something penetrate the roof or, you know, a problem occur or even just wear on the roof, uh, than roofs that, that don't have daily um, access on them. So, so that's number one. Um, You know, after that, I would say roofs with less redundancy. So, a single ply roof versus that built up roof we talked about, um, you're more likely to see a leak because um, you've got less material to penetrate for the water to get inside the membrane or inside the the, the building. So, you know, it kind of goes from there. You, You know, roof coverings start out at 45 mils thick, which is not very thick, and we see them go up to over 100 mils thick. So, the thicker, the better, and the less foot traffic, the better. Um, and then obviously geography can have a you know, somewhat of a play. If there's a lot, a lot of consistent high winds that, that can take a factor. And then, you know, the other thing is, is installation quality. You know, roofing materials in general, these days are pretty much formulated and manufactured to be pretty dependable systems for a, a lengthy period of time. But installation quality, you know, if they, if they installed over moisture, if they didn't get the flashings right, you know, there's a lot of variables in installation quality that will also affect that.
1: Quick, too, I want to mention parapets. Um, You know, you'll see parapets that are six inches. You'll see parapets that are two, three feet. Are there – how do they affect the moisture resilience of of roofs?
3: So – A parapet, you know, we'll see parapets that are are covered in metal. We'll see parapets that are made out of, you know, CMU block or concrete, like on a tilt wall building. A lot of different construction types. But if those parapets are not sealed um, and and treated, then they can act as a sponge. Um, You know, you'll have capillary movement through concrete, things like that. So we see a lot of cases where a parapet may not have a, a cap on it. Maybe it was a masonry parapet and they just, you know, it was they didn't put a metal cap on it. Well, if that surface isn't coated or treated with some type of waterproofing coating, you're going to get water entry into that parapet. And obviously, the larger the parapet, the taller the parapet, the more surface area and the more potential for, for water intrusion that you can have. So it's critical to stay up with the sealants, expansion joints, things like that, and also just the waterproofing coating or membrane on the parapet.
1: Does a taller parapet help protect my roof better from things like wind?
3: Um, not necessarily, because um, when the wind comes across that parapet, you're going to have that venturi effect on the inside, you know, on the, on the leeward side. So, you know, a parapet, it, it, it's aesthetically protecting, and it, and it can protect from direct impacts and storms and things like that. It can create more suction um, at the perimeter. Um, which causes uplift on the roof membrane
1: itself. Okay, you get more turbulence at, at the perimeter yeah. there. Okay, um, I got one more before we go to roof. Uh, before we go to the roundup, um, what are the biggest? I mean, what do you see as the biggest causes of roof problems? You mentioned foot traffic. Obviously, that that's a big one. What other things like? Is it poor materials, poor installation, poor maintenance, all of the above?
3: Yeah, Joe, I would definitely say all the above. I mean, foot traffic is, is huge. Um, you know, a poorly installed or poorly designed roof, you know, roofs ideally should should be designed to shed water. I mean, that, that's kind of what we, we hope to accomplish with a roof. But if it's not shedding water and you're you're having, you know, um, ponding water buildup, you know, ponding water um, will take a toll on roofs. Uh, you know, in, in, and it's not only the water, but what the water brings. You know, when you have ponding water, you're going to get, dirt deposits in those ponding water areas you can get you know biological growth in those areas and those will all affect that roof covering adversely over time so so we want to make sure the roofs are, are well designed and well installed so that we try to get as much water off the roof as we can um, you know foot limit foot traffic and then annual maintenance you know there's there's a term out in the industry called roof asset management and what that includes, it includes a variety of services that an owner or an owner and their partner can do to prolong the life of the roof. So that can be annual cleaning, you know, annual inspections, inspections after storms. It can include, you know, a planned uh, process for refreshing sealants uh, at penetrations and at, you know, at, at expansion joints and things like that. So, you know, if you have a roof that ponds water, and you have high traffic, and you don't have a maintenance program in place, you're definitely, definitely, definitely going to shorten the life of the roof and and you know not get the ROI on your roof system that, that you should.
1: Problem waiting to happen, I assume. Uh, Cliff, before we go to roundup, do you want to get one final question in? Um, yeah, I, I do. Uh, I want you to finish this
0: sentence. A good moisture surveyor thinks like a –
3: I would say they think like, uh, you know, you got to think like water. Obviously you want to think where that water is going to go, how it's going to behave. But you also have to to, to think like, you know, you have to be a student of building science because you have to understand where that water is going to go. But then you also have to, uh, you know, understand what's going to cause it to maybe get trapped in an area, what's going to cause it to to flow out. Um, So it's a combination I feel, but, but, yeah, it's, it's, uh, you got to think like water, especially when you're trying to find it. Great answer,
1: Joe. John, real quick, too, uh, what, what about roofing repair? I mean, we've talked a little bit about roof repair, but uh, Cliff had put a question here about, you know, when is roof repair a viable option versus complete replacement? I wonder if you could just touch on that for a minute.
3: No, that's a great question. So, so there are three phases of a roof's life. The first phase, literally from the day it's installed, till some point or early to mid point in its life is the repair phase. And then after the repair phase, we go into a restore phase. And then finally at end of life, we go into a replace phase. So repair can happen from day one, um, whether it's, you know, settling of the building or, or, you know, correcting workmanship deficiencies or physical damage, you know, whatever it may be. Um, restoration is, is a little more aggressive repair. That's being a little more proactive with, you know, um, encapsulating or, or um, uh, coating a roof, which some people will consider repair, some people will consider restoration before that roof, you know, gets to the end of its life. I, I kind of make the analogy: let's let's deal with the roof um, before it's you know it's it's completely shot. You know, we've got a roof system consists of a covering and then multiple components of insulation and a deck. Well, over time. The, the covering, which is the thinnest part of that entire system, the covering is what's exposed to the foot traffic and the UV and the wear and the abrasion from windblown, you know, sand or whatever. So let's, let's not throw out – let's not wait till that, that entire roof has to be thrown away. You know, the largest source of waste that goes to landfills in North America is construction waste. And the number one contributor in construction waste is roofing tear-offs. You know, so the National Roofing Contractors Association, they've, they've done a study that said only a third of the roofs that were torn off actually needed to be torn off. So that other two thirds hmm. can be repaired or restored. So let's not throw away all that stuff, all that good roofing material, that insulation and all that, when all we need to do is just go in and repair and revitalize the cover.
1: Wow, that's a fascinating statistic. I'm glad we asked that question, John. Uh, Can you stick around another five minutes? You bet. All right, let's go to the roundup, John. All right, let's bring in the Restorations Industries Global Watchdog. You know, Pete, I didn't get to ask. We're going to have to bring John back because – you know, when I think about restoration, when these roofs get wet and they leak, how the heck do you dry them out? I mean, that's, that's, that's an important question. I think, John, maybe, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it today or not, but Pete, let me turn it over to you. Well, thanks Joe. Yeah. I don't know that we'll have enough time to
4: talk about that complex of a topic, but, uh, I definitely agree, man. Uh, you know, great job, uh, guys, really. The interview is fabulous. Um, so listen, uh, John, so I actually put, I'll close. So you think about that question, say whatever you want or don't want to say about the roofers in Florida. But the other thing I'd like you to uh, to do as part of your closing comments that Cliff maybe could put in the blog, I think I'd be interested and in our in, uh, listeners would be interested in um, what kind of shows do, do you attend and do people in that industry attend? I mean, there's a the roofing associations, there's the windstorm show, there's all those kinds of things be good to kind of end with that. Um, now the, uh, so the thing is one of the things that, that, uh, from the Dublin symposium that really, uh, struck a chord with me and Cliff, uh, Cliff and myself, but primarily Cliff did the heavy lifting, uh, did a presentation over there. Even though it was a technical symposium, it was on the history of the restoration industry and specifically where the whole water and drying part of the industry came from. And, uh, What we realized is that a lot of the guys that were there, the expertise is in flooring. And what brought back to me and Cliff is that the restoration industry started from the flooring industry. And on every loss, the floor gets wet just through the principle of gravity. And I think that we've, as as a restoration industry, I think we've kind of forgotten the importance of that. (laughs) And uh, so meeting a lot of the flooring experts – um brought me back to my roots and drew the series of these uh, mo- um the moisture you know mob series and through um uh some some a couple of the guys in there with bob and william and andrew uh are gonna be involved in uh different standard setting uh uh, uh things that are happening in the industry specifically dealing with moisture and concrete and so uh I think that's um that's something that really came out of symposium and it's actually needed. Very important. So, uh, so but the thing that, um, that bonds us, you know, even though we're informal, there's no contractual agreement, just a bunch of old guys getting together, passing on their knowledge. You have to have a focus and you got to have a purpose that binds you. Now, my friend, the Z man, of course, a lot of the listeners, loyal listeners know he's a Marine. Well, you want to know what bonds, when well, Marines are not guys who served were Marines for, you know, Few years, maybe they went to war somewhere in the world. Maybe they didn't. They their motto is "Semper Fidelis," the duty of an old Always loyalty did. and service. So, the one that the moisture mob came up with, and they all reviewed it, and what I threw out there, and this is our motto. This is a our purpose, the spirit of corps that basically ties us together, and it's truth and accuracy in moisture measurement. Or face the consequences. And those consequences of unchecked moisture, and John, you talked to some of them in some of the other interviews, Will, is uh, obviously excess uh, humidity in the built environment and the building systems uh, and the materials. Uh, what happens? Well, you have product failures, installation problems, uncomfortable living conditions for the building occupants. You have microbial growth. You have mold. All of these things affect people's health, and, uh, and they have deleterious effects on the materials also. So you have health implications, financial implications, and a number of things like that. So having, being truthful and being accurate and giving good information of the work that we do by using the proper technology and know that you know everything's not created alike is important not only for the respect of the, of the industries and all the industries that are served, but, uh, but it serves the greater good of the general public, the insurance companies, property managers, people that ultimately have to... Uh, uh, Burden this cost, and that is affected in everyone 's premiums and and the rents that they pay in buildings and it goes on and on and on and and anyway uh so uh, anyway so I, I I said what i, I kind of wanted to say on that, and then so let me just say uh here the here's the the up and coming uh the last three so we're trying to get howard howard just came back from i think a work visit in Australia and um his topic uh he, he's a, he's a, an extraordinary uh, – the projects that he did are extraordinary. Anyone that lives uh, lives in the Boston area, uh, just go walk through Faneuil Hall or some area there where he, he restored that. But his his list is very impressive. And so his title I picked for him is Hardwood Flooring from the Treetops Tree to the Roots, an intimate fire, fireside chat with an industry trailblazer. Um, William Thornton, the sports flooring. It's going to be called Fort – Sports Flooring Confidential, the underbelly of cradle to grave from manufacture to installation and use. And then our cleanup guy is Roland Vieira uh, from San Jose, California, the life and times of a renowned flooring inspector, Stories from the dark side from the trenches. So anyway, that's kind of in the spirit of the moisture mob. And with that, Joe, I'll turn it over to you. And I hope uh, I hope John T. wants uh, have been thinking about and will address that watchdog question. The kinds of questions that me and Cliff ask the listeners want to know. But it's your baby
1: anyway. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone, and thank you all for calling in. Thank you, Pete. Much appreciated. John, do you want to address uh, one of Pete's questions?
3: You bet. So I know we're running long on time here. Um, so. Pete, great point. Obviously, you know, contractors of all roofing, especially they're, they're kind of, you know, kind of have the reputation like used car salesmen. Um, so, you know, I think the critical points are to make sure that, you know, you're dealing with a contractor that's appropriately licensed, um, make sure you're verifying insurance. Um, and then, then also make sure that the, the contractor is, is, is partnered with a good manufacturer that can make or break the project. You know, in a lot of cases, the manufacturers, if there's warranties being involved, the manufacturers will provide oversight and inspections to ensure and reduce their liability. So, so if I had to recommend, you know, if I was, was telling an owner how to find the best contractor, I'd say, make sure you, you make sure you verify their license, make sure you verify their insurance, and make sure you, you use contractors that are certified or authorized by multiple respected manufacturers. Um, Those are really, really key. And then references, of course, you know, job references.
1: All right. And then, Cliff, do you have any final questions?
0: I do, John. Let's say someone was looking for a career change uh, like you were. They were a roofer and and they want to get into uh, roofing inspection and and surveys. Are there classes that they could take or, uh, you know, where would they go to, to get more information or possibly get into that?
3: No, great question. So obviously you need to have some understanding of roof assemblies. So whether, you know, you, you have a roofing background or, you know, if not, you've got to attend some classes to learn about roofing. Um, and there, there, I'm sure there are several, you know, where I would direct someone to go is, um, American roofing educators. Uh, that's a, that's a company that I actually teach for. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a class um, where people can come in, they can spend a couple of days learning about roof, low slope roof assemblies, you know, restoration, what's required. So they kind of learn what's good and what's bad. And then, then the follow-up class the next two days is a, a hands-on and theoretical uh, training using impedance equipment um, mm-hmm. and using all the tools involved there to properly conduct a moisture survey, and how to properly format a report and, and all that fun stuff. So American Roofing Educators is where I direct. Perfect. Thank you very much.
1: John T., I'd just like to finish up by asking, is there anything we missed that you'd like to add or any final thoughts?
3: No, you guys did a great job and, and love to come back sometime and, and talk about that drying perspective because that, that, that would take some time. Maybe we'll have a roundup
1: with – get like three or four of you together and, and, and do a final wrap-up show.
3: That'd
1: be great. All right. Well, thank you, John Hall. Much appreciated. That was a, a, a very interesting and uh, very, I learned a lot today. I really appreciate you joining us on today's show, talking about roofing and moisture issues. I also want to thank the uh, Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli, for helping us round up the moisture mob. My co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. John, you got to have faith at the controls. Most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode of IAQ Radio. And if you get a chance to stop by, uh, I'll probably be at the AEML booth or Particles Plus or somewhere on Thursday at the IAQA conference. And then on Friday, I'll be at the AEML winter break. So hopefully I'll see a bunch of you there. We'll be back in two weeks with the next live episode of IAQ Radio
0: Plus. For IAQ Radio, I'm Spike Reed saying
2: Thanks for listening.